before we begin, I just want to mention a reminder to our mission partners and an invite to everyone else. We have Vision Night coming up in a couple weeks. It's on Sunday, November the 17th at our Apex campus at 6 p.m. It's a chance for us to celebrate what God has done here at Hope this past year and then really to look ahead as well as to where we believe God's leading us going into next year. We're going to have a chance to look at our budget and our bylaws, incredibly exciting things. And so uh, you don't want to miss that. In fact, you can go online or you can download our app as well and you can uh, have access. You can look at all of that stuff ahead of time, but just wanted to make sure that we put that on your radar and on your calendar. Now we are in week two of our series called Fear. And in this series, we're tackling some of the things that people have searched most online, some of the top fears that people are looking for answers to, for help with, for uh, hope as they're trying to deal with these things. And then we're looking at what does the Bible actually have to say about them. Last week, we talked about the fear of rejection. Next week, we're wrapping it up. We're going to talk about the fear of commitment. Today, we're going to see what God's Word has to say about a fear that all of us have in our lives, and it's the fear of failure. Now, uh, uh, there's a story that I, I heard a, a little while ago, and uh, it was a guy that, uh, that had more money, obviously, than he knew what to do with because he had a, a bunch of monkeys. And, and it feels like people that have a lot of money probably have a lot of monkeys. And so one day he decided he was going to do a, an experiment, and so he put four monkeys in a room, and in the center of the room he put a, a large stalk, and then at the top a bushel filled with bananas. Now, eventually, one of the monkeys noticed that there were bananas at the top of, of this stalk and decided, hey, I want a banana, right? And so he, he began to climb the, the stalk, and as he got close to the bushel, the owner who was in there, he actually turned on the hose, and, and with cold water, he hosed down the monkey who, who didn't like that, turned around, came back down the stalk, and was like, what was that, right? Like, that's not what I, was, I thought was going to happen at all. And, and another monkey thought, well, I'm going to give it a try. And so he climbed the stalk, and as he got close to the top, same thing happened. And so this continued a few times until all of the monkeys decided that it, it wasn't worth the cost, right? That they, they, so they just stopped trying. Well, eventually the owner decided he was going to do something. He was going to change things up a little bit. So he took one of the original monkeys out and he put a new monkey in. Well, when that new monkey saw the bushel of bananas, he decided that he wanted one of the bananas, right? And so uh, he made his way towards it. He began to climb the stalk. And guess what the other monkeys did? They were going to have none of it, right? And so they actually grabbed that monkey and they pulled him back down. And, and I'm imagining that monkey looked at them and was like, what? Dudes, right? Like there's a bushel of bananas. Like I'm going to go get one. And he tried again. And the, again, they grabbed him and they pulled him back down. Well, eventually he got to the place where that monkey stopped trying as well. And so then the owner decided that he was going to do something. He wanted to see how the experiment would happen if he began replacing all of the original monkeys. And so eventually he replaced all of the original monkeys with new monkeys that had never experienced those failed attempts. And yet with each one of those new monkeys, they decided that they weren't going to try and get the bananas. And none of the monkeys knew why they were afraid to try. And when I read that story and I heard that story, I thought, man, that those monkeys are a lot like us, right? And there's a lot of jokes that you could make there, but, but maybe you've been in the place where you've had the same, uh, you've had a dream, you've had an idea, you've had a thought. Maybe God has put something inside of you that, that you feel like you should take on and try. And maybe you've also taken that idea, that thought, that dream. Maybe you've shared it with someone, maybe someone that you love, maybe someone that you trusted, someone close to you, and they begin to tell you why, why that's not gonna work out. And they tell you that it's a, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> There's no way that's ever, you haven't thought it all the way through. That, that's never going to play out in, in reality. Or maybe they tell you that you're not good enough. 
that you can't do that. That's not something that you have the, the abilities to do or, or the, the mindset to do. You, you can't do that. Maybe they go back and they remind you of some of your past failures. Remember the last time you tried something like that? It didn't work out too well, did it? You don't want to go back to that same spot. You don't want to experience that failure again. Maybe they take it and even turn it around towards themselves. I tried that and, and I failed. If I can't do it, then you, you sure can't do it. And so you just, you just don't try. And as a result, this fear begins to creep into the back of, of your mind. I want to try. I mean, I really think I can do it. I may even believe that God is even leading me towards it. But what if it doesn't work? What if I'm not good enough? What if the things that they said about me are, are right, are, are, are true? I remember the last time I failed. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to experience that again. I, I'm not sure that it, this is worth it. And that fear of failure keeps us from stepping in faith. See, fear causes a couple things to happen for us. The fear of failure, it, it keeps us from taking risks. Now, the word risk in and of itself, right, it implies failure. But it's amazing that how in the face of change, in the face of risk, when we try to risk something, that how clearly those old memories come back to our minds. Unfortunately, it's, it's not usually the memories of God's faithfulness. We have to fight for those memories. It's often the, the memories of the mistakes, the, the past failures that we've had. My last two relationships, they didn't turn out so well. Do I really want to go through that pain again? I mean, I failed my diet so many times. I don't even know where my gym is, right? Is it worth, is it worth going to it? That last test, that last sales call, it, it was a disaster. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm, if I'm cut out for this. And our past keeps us from trying. See, the fear of failure, it, it sets up something else. It sets up an unrealistic expectations for us. See, we know so much more now than we did when I was growing up. Randy, Sean, and Trevor, right? That was, that was my version of CNN. They told me if something was cool, then it was cool. And if they didn't know about it, then it wasn't happening anywhere in the world. But that's not, that's not what it's like today. Everybody knows everything. Everybody sees everything. Everybody has access to it. And, and instantly, right, we're all trending and, and vi something goes viral. YouTube filled with amazing videos. Shows like America's Got Talent, right, that, that reminds us that most of us don't have talent, right? Like, at least not, not at that level. Celebrities, they, they become the mark for us, right? It's, the way they look is perfection. The way they perform is, is perfection. And so they become what we chase after because they're the ones that get paid, right? Social media, it sets standards for us. This is what I need to look like. That's the body type that I have to have. That's the vacation location. That's what my house should look like. And so we spend all of our time comparing our lives to the lives of other people. And as a result, we set these high expectations. In fact, we, we set our expect expectations so far above reality that we... We're, we're just destined to fail. So a lot of times we just, don't even, we just don't even try. Or if we do try, we quit quickly because we know what perfection looks like. We know what the best looks like. And we know that we're never going to achieve that on our own. See, these fears of failure, they feed into these unrealistic expectations and the unrealistic expectations feed back into our, our fears of failure and it's this endless cycle that just continues on in our lives. As a result of this fear, it, it leads to 
paralysis. We're kind of like that squirrel, right, that's in front of your car when you're, you're doing 55 down the road and it's just frozen there, not sure where to go or what to do. It prevents us from attempting. It prevents us from risking. It prevents us from trying those things in our lives. See, everyone fears failure. But here's the good news. The good news is this, is that God has not given us a spirit of fear. In fact, God's working in our lives. He wants us to help us. He wants to help us overcome these fears in our lives. And so what if there was a way to remove this fear? What if you could face every day, every relationship, every situation without, without the, the fear of failure behind it? What would you attempt if that was possible for you? If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to John chapter 8. That's where we're going to uh, spend a little bit of time together. We're going to take a look at a, at a story there as you're turning to um, John 8. The Bible is, is full of all kinds of examples, all kinds of stories of real people, normal people, just like you and I, and, and, and it lists so many of their failures. It's why I'm glad that I wasn't around in Bible times. Can you imagine someone coming up and saying, Donnie, you're in the Bible, and you think, wow, that's, that's amazing, and then you read the story, and you're like, oh, not, not that, right? Is, it, is that seriously what you chose, what, what you wrote about that failure? And so the story that we're going to take a look at today, I chose this story because of the, the severity of it. It's an, it's an extreme story because I really believe that if we can see at this level of failure how Jesus responded to it, that it's going to give us hope to deal with our past failures, even our, our current failures. It, it's also going to be a source of confidence for us when we face that fear of failure in the future. John chapter 8, beginning of verse 1, it says this, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Now we talked about this last week, right? That, that everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd of people that would gather around him. And so if you're here today and you're just checking out this whole Jesus thing, you're, you're just curious, let me just say this to you. You're not alone. In fact, for 2,000 years, people have been checking out this whole Jesus thing. And we think that, that you're in the right place. We're so glad that you're here. And we think that you're going to discover today maybe some things that will help, help improve, help impact, help change your life. Uh, verse 3 says this, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. Now, Imagine this scene, right? Here's Jesus, and he's teaching, and there's this group of people, this crowd that's gathered around, and all of a sudden, these religious leaders, they start to, to kind of part the crowd, right? And they step into the middle, and they bring in this, this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. See, the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees that it's talking about here, you need to understand, they didn't like Jesus, because Jesus was teaching something that was contradictory, something that was radically different than the, the things that they were teaching, than the way that they wanted to, to live their lives. And so it was their mission to, to get Jesus out of the way, right? To get Jesus out of the picture. But here's the problem. They had nothing to accuse him of. Jesus being God and all, right? He, he never made a mistake. He didn't do anything wrong. And so and no matter how many times they tried to, to trick him or to trap him, it just never worked. And so these religious leaders, they decide one more time that we're going to try and trap Jesus. So they bring this woman caught in adultery to him. Now, when you read this, right, it's, it's hard not to notice that they only brought one person. And I, I don't know, unless ancient adultery is different than it is today, right? I, I believe it, it, it involves two people. But, so it leads to the question, where's the guy? I don't know if he's sleeping in or, 
Maybe the camels were barking when they came to get her and, and say, it woke him up. He, he snuck out the back. Like, we're, we're not sure. There's, there's no mention of him, which is, is very revealing to us about the intentions of these religious leaders, right? They weren't concerned about the woman at all. They weren't even concerned about justice in this, in this situation. They just wanted Jesus to fail. Verse 3, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to trap, or sorry, in order to have a basis of accusing him. See, just to be clear, stone her meant, it was referring to rocks and, and boulders, right? Just in case you were, you were wondering about that. And so here they are, and they're trying to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him. See, if Jesus says, no, don't stone her, then he's violating the Mosaic law. And, and as a, a bunch of good Jewish people that are gathered around in the, in the temple courts together, there would have been an uprising if Jesus had said that. But if Jesus says, yes, go ahead and, and stone her, then he would have been violating the, the Roman law. See, Jews were not allowed to stone or to execute in any way anyone who was under Roman jurisdiction. And so they were forcing him into one of two positions. See, if Jesus says, yes, stoner, then he loses. He, he would fail in that moment. If he says, no, don't stoner, then he loses or he would fail in that as well. See, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they're thinking to themselves, we finally did it. Hey, we got him. This trap is perfect. They're high-fiving each other. They're like, we have finally trapped Jesus. And the onlookers who are standing around in the crowd, they're, they're thinking, is, is there going to be a stoning today? Right? This is like an event back in the day for them. Verse 6, but Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. How's that for a reaction? You imagine the drama, right? I mean, everyone's yelling. Everyone's yelling their opinion. Everyone's yelling at Jesus for a decision. They're telling him what to do or what not to do. People are getting their rocks out. And there's this woman, and she's, she's huddled next to Jesus, probably naked, and she's crying, feeling helpless and, and feeling hopeless. And Jesus bends down, and he begins to write in the dirt. And the Bible doesn't say what he wrote. I don't know if Jesus is trying to, is he trying to stall? I mean, he's God, right? So he knows how he's going to respond. He knows what the answer is going to be. So that answer doesn't seem to work. Some people think maybe he started writing the Ten Commandments or maybe he began listing the names of, of her accusers. We don't know. I like the theory that he started, he started writing down sins and then he began drawing arrows towards people that were standing in, in the crowd watching, right? And you imagine standing there and you're like, hey, Steve, Steve, Jesus just drew an arrow from that sin to you. Steve? Steve, right? Like, Steve's gone. Steve's like, I'm, I'm out of here because I don't want to be accused of this. We don't know exactly what it is that he wrote, but what, we, what he says is very, very clear. Look at verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. So you notice Jesus refused to step into the role of judge. These guys, they had... They had set this trap, but they didn't count on the fact that Jesus was going to put people before practices. You see, they still didn't understand that the, the, the central theme of Jesus' teaching, the central theme of his life is love one another, not, not law one another. Jesus isn't as worried about the rules as he is about a relationship with us. And so Jesus' brilliant response here, it, it, it broke the dilemma. See, he didn't say what she was doing was right. 
But Jesus chooses to accept her anyways. He said, go ahead. Go ahead and stone her, but let the line form behind the people who are without sin. What would you do if you were there in the crowd? Right, with a stone in, in, in your hand, right? How, how would you respond? Because I've got to believe that even 2,000 years ago, people knew internally, they knew intrinsically, right, that, that I've done a lot of wrong things in my life. That nobody has is, is lived a, a life without error except for Jesus, without sin, without, without failures. In fact, if I was to say to you today that those of you who have never, ever made a mistake, you can stay in this room, but everyone else needs to leave. How many of us would need to, to leave? The room would be empty. I'd be here all by myself, and that would be so awkward and uncomfortable. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'd be like Michael Scott. I'd be the first one out, right? Like my list of things is, is, is long. It's, it's crazy. Verse 8, again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And again, we don't know what Jesus wrote, and we don't know why he did it. Maybe Maybe it was to avoid eye contact with the accusers, right? Maybe he's trying to give them some grace and, and not pile any more shame on top of the guilt that they're already feeling at this time. See, it's a good thing that, that I'm not Jesus, right? And there's many reasons why that's a, a good thing. But, but if I was Jesus, right, in that place, and I'm like, you want to accuse her? That, that's what you guys are, are doing? Remember, Jesus is 100% man, but he's also 100% God, right? And so he knows everything about, about everyone, I would have started pointing things out. Hey, Jeff, Jeff, you, you, remember, you remember what you did, right? Like, you, you remember what you did, right? Sarah, I heard what you said about Rachel last week. Brian, did, did you report everything on your taxes? Right? I'm not, I'm not, did you get it all down, down there, right? I mean, I'd have a PowerPoint presentation set up with everybody's names and their, their sins is showing next to it. I would have been like, Oprah, you committed a sin. You committed a sin. You like, it would have been going on, right? I would have gone for it, but that's not what Jesus did. Jesus doesn't do that. He stoops down and he begins to just write in the, in the dust. See, I, I think, this, this is just my opinion, but I think this time, I think Jesus was, was writing something for her. Maybe he was writing down God's original plan for her. Maybe the day and the place where she was born, maybe the first time that, that she rode a bike. Maybe Jesus started writing about her future, maybe the, her future family, maybe the, the kids' names that she was going to have down the road. Maybe it was a life filled with love and intimacy and joy and, and right relationships. See, I think Jesus was writing to remind her that her failure didn't disqualify her and that her failure didn't define her. See, the same is, same is true for us today. It's true for you today. It's true for me. And I know what some of you are thinking, right? Some, some of you, if, if, if we're honest, some of you are like, Donnie, I, I have a few more than just one mistake, right? And in fact, I, I, I have like a master's degree in, in failures in my life. Well, here's the truth. Jesus doesn't define you by your failures either. See, instead, he desires to have a relationship with you because he loves you that much. Verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only, only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And can you hear it? Can you, can you hear the, the thuds as those rocks and those stones fell out of hands and fell to the ground? People turning and walking away, admitting their own failures by doing so. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now that may sound harsh. So let me just make sure we understand. When Jesus uses that, that word woman or that phrase, it's the same phrase he used in John chapter 2 when he was referring to his mom. It's actually a term of, of affection. 
Jesus isn't being rude here. He is very compassionately saying, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she responds in verse 11. She says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Why did I choose this story? Because on the surface, right, it, it appears to speak more to the fear of, of consequences maybe than the, than the fear of failure, right? And this, this failure, it's an extreme failure, right? What, uh, what if mine isn't quite as bad as that? Like, how do I fit in, in on this? I chose this story because of Jesus' response. See, his compassion and how he treats this woman when she is at her most vulnerable is how Jesus responds to us. I love the line that, that neither do I condemn you. See, Jesus is the only one that could declare her not guilty because Jesus is the only one that's going to go to the cross and take her sin upon himself. This is a picture of, of grace. It's a picture of, of acceptance, of unconditional love. And then he instructs her to leave her failure in the past, right? He says, go now and leave your life of sin. He doesn't just free her from the Pharisees, but he frees her from her past. And then he focuses on her future, not on her failure. So there's no lecture, no guilt, no shame added to this. She already felt all of those things, right? Jesus knew that. It's a picture of hope. And if this is how Jesus responds to one of the, the bigger moral failures that we can experience, and this is how he will respond to every other failure in our life as well. Just to be clear, this isn't permission to do whatever you want without consequences. But what it means is that it offers hope to us that, that removes fear from our lives. See, we don't know any more about this woman. There's different theories and, and different things that are, are written. But here's what I do know. Here's what I'm very confident of, that her encounter with Jesus, it changed everything for her. He freed her from her past failures and he removed any fear that she may have had about her future as well. So let me give you, let me give you a few truths of how to deal with the fear of failure in, in our lives. Here's the first one. It's understanding this. You will fail. Right? You're going to fail. Everybody does. This woman did. Right? We'd be here all day if I had to tell you all of mine. Right? And some of them are very impressive. I, I have a lot of, of big failures in my life. If you're a visitor here today, welcome to the family, right? The roof's not going to collapse and, and fall on you. Every single one of us have failed, and none of this shocks God. None of this catches him off guard. In fact, look at what it says in Ecclesiastes 7.20. Back in the Old Testament, it says, not a single person on earth is always good and, and never sins. In the New Testament, in Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same place. Now, sure, some of our mistakes, some of our failures, some of our sins are, are worse than others, but the realization that I'm not alone, that this is a part of life, what that does is it can keep you from, from allowing fear to creep in and keep, you from, keep it from happening again in your life. Let me ask you a question. What are you afraid of? Some of you, some of you have a vision to maybe start a new career or maybe to start a new business, right? But, but you're afraid, right? What if the, what if the financing doesn't come through? What what if it just doesn't work out? Some of you, one of your greatest desires is to be married. But you've been hurt so many times in the past, right, by other relationships that you're afraid to try again. You're afraid to trust again. You want this so bad, but you're just not sure it's worth getting hurt. 
some parents in the room. Maybe you feel like God's calling you to start a family. Maybe for one of you to leave work and to come home. Maybe to start homeschooling, but you're afraid to try because of, of the financial stress that will be there. Or, or maybe, maybe I'm just not good enough to do that. Some of you know that God is calling you to give, to be more generous, right? To, to tithe. But you're scared of what if God doesn't come through on his promises? Guys, some of you, God, God is calling you to be more of a spiritual leader in your family, but you're, you're hesitant. What if I don't know enough? What, what if I don't pray right? What if I, I try to teach the Bible and, and it doesn't work out? Some of you, God has birthed an idea to start a new ministry or maybe to, to, to start a Bible study on your campus or to lead a small group or to invite someone to church, but you're scared because what if no one responds to it? Some of you think that your past disqualifies you from from ever deserving God's love or God's forgiveness in your life. And so you've just stopped trying. See, we all fail. Failure is an event. It's never a person. Let me say that again, because this is so important. Failure is an event. It's something that happens. It is never a person. You aren't a failure. You're a person who fails just like everyone else. And so failure isn't something that we need to be afraid of. That's the, that's the first thing. We all fail. Here's the second, is that you will benefit from failure. If you choose to, right? You, you can actually benefit from this. Look at Proverbs 20, verse 30. It says, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Do you think the woman in this story, do you think she was impacted by her encounter with Jesus? Do you think some things changed in her life as a result? See, I would argue that there are times where God allows you to fail. Never causes, but allows you to fail. Why? Because, because it's only when you go through failure that there are things that God can do in your life that he just couldn't do otherwise. See, there's at least four, at least four potential benefits of, of failure in our life. One is that failure motivates you. Failure can motivate you to, to do something better, right? Uh, don't let one blown sale, one bad grade keep you from trying ever again. Don't let one bad relationship, someone who gossiped about you, don't let that keep you from trusting someone again. Don't let a past sin or even a series of repeated sins keep you from believing that God loves you and that he has a plan for your life. See, if you let fear overtake you, it can cost you more than you can imagine. In fact, it can, it can be your greatest pain, and it's this thing called regret. You don't want to wake up in the morning and, and wonder what should have happened, what could have happened, what would have happened if I just wasn't afraid to fail. So you make the changes that you need to make so you don't repeat those same mistakes over and over again, and then you use it as motivation to try again. Here's another one. Failure teaches you. What if we take our failures and redefine them simply as lessons? I love the story about a guy who taught a pottery class. And the first day of class, every single year, he would take the class and he would divide it in half. And he said, this half of the room, you have the next three hours. I want you to focus on quantity. I want you to make 100 clay pots. This half of the room, over the next three hours, I want you to focus on quality. I want you to make one clay pot. And I want it to be the best clay pot, better than the hundred that are, are being made over here. Are you ready? Go. And every year in this class, the teacher would prove his point. At the end of the time, those who focused on the quality made only one pot. Those who focused on the quantity made a hundred or so pots. But there would always be a dozen or so pots from the quantity side that would be better than the one pot that was made on the quality side. 
And every year his students would ask why, and the professor would say something like this, one of the biggest mistakes that we make is that we overanalyze, that we overprepare, that we're so consumed with what other people think or their opinions that we're hesitant to risk failure. See, the first pot that the quantity group made, the, the first pot was ugly, and the, and the second pot was ugly. The third one, it wasn't very good either, but the more that you made them, the more you learned. And before long, you were learning so much that the quality of your work improved so much that those, those dozen or so are actually better than the one that was made over here. And you succeeded because you, you weren't afraid to fail. Another is that failure grows you. See, God, God uses our failures to grow us. It could be as simple as we try something and it doesn't work out, so we try something different. Or, or it could be the kind of failure that we read about in, in this story God uses our failures to help us find who we are and, and really to help us find who God created us to be. See, our failures can expose our weaknesses, our weaknesses in character. It shows us how we need God's help in our lives to fix us, to purify us, to strengthen us so that we can fulfill the goal that God created us to fulfill, which is to be more and more like Jesus. So when you fail, you just simply ask yourself this question, how can I grow from this? Why did I fail? What do I need to do in my life so that, so that I don't repeat this again, so that I can have success in, in the future? One more is that failure can benefit others. See, what if instead of our past mistakes, our past sins, our, our past failures, instead of them paralyzing us, what if you let your mess be your message? See, your failure can be your most powerful ministry. When you can get to the place where you can say, I'm not, I don't care what anyone else thinks about this, you understand that your failures are just a part of your story and then, and then maybe you take those and you use them to benefit others. Maybe it's starting a new ministry that, that allows people that, that aren't quite as far along the journey as you are, that you help them out. Or maybe you step into our family ministry, into Kids City or middle school or high school ministry, our college ministry, and you help, uh, you help our students prevent, uh, prevent them from making the same mistakes that you did, prevent them from the pain and the hurt and the embarrassment that you experienced. So they can be geniuses by learning from us instead of having to go through it themselves. Here's the last truth. The last one is this, is that failure is not final. Or at least it doesn't have to be. So the good news is that if you're, if you're listening to me, then that means that, that your failures have not been final. As long as you are still breathing, then your story isn't finished yet. One of the clearest proofs of this is found in the book of, of Luke. Jesus is being crucified un unjustly in this. He's hanging there on the cross, not for his mistakes, not for his failures, but for mine, for yours. The Bible tells us that there were two other criminals that were executed that day, one on Jesus' left and one on, on Jesus' right. And this is what it says in Luke 23, verse 39. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, this man's messed up. I mean, he's been found guilty. He, he failed. The result of his failure, it's going to cost him his life. But even then, it wasn't too late. His failures weren't greater than God's love. And God turned his mess into, 
into his message. And here we are 2,000 years later still talking about this, this same story. See, it doesn't matter what you've done or how late in the game you are in, in coming to Jesus. The same response that Jesus gave to the woman is the same response that he gave to the criminal. Is the same response that he's offering to you and to me today. See, the reason Jesus came to earth, the reason that he became human like, like we are was so that he could give his life in exchange for ours, the perfect one giving up his life for the messed up one in exchange. And through his death, through Jesus' rather resurrection, what he does is he offers us, uh, he offers us life, he offers us forgiveness, he offers us hope. See, it's unconditional love that drove him to that cross to take, to take our sin upon himself so that you could be declared not guilty, so that I could be declared not guilty. So you can't earn God's grace. You simply receive it by, by faith. See, no matter how big the failure is, Jesus says it's, it's done. No matter how many times it's happened in your life, Jesus says you, you're forgiven. And not just your past, but your present. And maybe the most amazing part of this is Jesus says, I've already forgiven your future stuff too. And so if all of those failures are gone, then there's no need for us to be afraid of anything. Here's how I want to close today. Rebecca Ward is one of our worship leaders here at Hope, and uh, a little while ago she told me that she wrote and, and produced a song, and, and she sent it to me, and I listened to it, and I love, I love the chorus of it. Let me just read it to you. It says this, only you can turn a mess into a masterpiece, and when I see brokenness, you see the beauty. Oh, you meet me where I am, drowning in the sorrow of my past. You finish what you first began, and it's a masterpiece. See, your failure, your failure doesn't define you. It doesn't deny you God's love or God's forgiveness, and it doesn't disqualify you from the future that God had planned for you before he started any of this. See, God's in the business of changing your mess into, into a masterpiece. It's been his plan from the very beginning, all accomplished through Jesus. The question is this, is will you put your trust in him to do that in your life? I'm going to pray, and then our worship teams are going to sing that song at all of our campuses, and then your, your campus host is going to come out and, and, and close this down. Will you bow your head with me? Have you ever responded to the gospel? It's that place where you say, I'm a sinner. I've, I've tried to fix my life, but I, I just can't. No matter what I try, no matter how hard I work at it, I believe that your son Jesus, that he died on a cross to pay for my sins. I believe that three days later he rose again from the dead to prove that, that he is the savior of the world. And I accept that gift. See, if, if that's you today, that's it. There's nothing else that you need to do. And if that's you, then I want to just lead you in this prayer. And I just want you to pray in, in the quiet of your heart, just the quiet of your mind. I, I want you just to repeat this after me. God, I realize today how much I need you. And I'm asking you to save me. I acknowledge my sin and I accept the gift of your son, Jesus. God, thank you for accepting me with all of my failures, with all of, all of the sin that I have in my life. Thank you for forgiving me and God, for setting me free. See, if you prayed 
that prayer, if, if it came from your heart, then that's it. It's done. Jesus has done everything for you. You are forgiven. You have new life. The Bible says you're adopted into God's family, that everything that he is and has is yours. God, I thank you. Thank you so much for loving us, even, even with all of our mistakes, with all of our failures. God, even when we weren't interested in being in a relationship with you, God, you chose to love us. And not only that, but God, you, you went first in our lives. I pray for those that made that decision today, that God, you would encourage them, that you would walk beside them, they recognize that you've done everything and now we just get to live in, in a place of gratitude. We get to live in a place where your spirit leads us and guides us. God, in the life that you designed and created and intended for us from the very, very beginning. God, I pray for all of us. I thank you that you don't condemn us. That's not who you are. But God, you're a God that forgives us. God, we all fail. So you help us just to not make excuses out of it. And God, help us to not live in fear. Help us to learn from it. Help us to grow because of it. God, help us to change and, and be different. And God, would you remind us that our failures are not final. God, that you can take the mess of our lives. You can turn it into a message, a message of hope, a message that can, can help others. God, the whole while, while you're turning us into your masterpiece. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Masterpiece, I know. 
so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. 